It would take me another decade even to visit this pot of sock that really needed me to look in and really truly heal what I imagined what my worth was and who I am if I wasn't performing, if I wasn't making everyone else happy, if I wasn't contributing, if I wasn't, you know, doing this next layer of success and all of these things. It was that level of escapism until I couldn't escape anymore, <laughs> until I could not hide all of these those emotions and bypass essentially my own work of healing through that and my own work of going deeper and honoring myself and saying, wow, yeah, that really sucked. And acknowledging the, the pain of that, I think it's so much easier in our culture and nowadays to shove it under a rug, shove it, you know, put it in the back seat, you know, fake it till we make it, which is another one. But what about just feeling it to heal it? You know, reframe the stories that we actually have in our head at a deeper level. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. The DNA Company is an innovative provider of functional genomic solutions for personalized health and wellness. With over two decades of research, 10,000 plus genomic samples, including my own, and thousands of clinical consultations, their reports can identify outcomes like chronic fatigue, dysregulated hormones, poor emotional resilience, addictions, chronic inflammation, metabolic dysfunction, weight gain, and more. Discover how the DNA Company's genomic insights can help your patients improve their health outcomes. Right now, as an exclusive offer to listeners, get $100 off DNA360 test and report by going to thednacompany.com forward slash impact lives. A famous fictional philosopher once said that life is not a box of chocolates. And I couldn't agree more. In fact, as a kid, I remember, I remember being at university asking people about their life and learning about people's lives and what they're going through. And I clearly and distinctly remember the emotional cascade when someone would share, like, I've like never had to deal with anything. Like I've got this great family and everything's kind of perfect. And, and I remember the fear I would feel for them around missing out on the opportunity for growth. Now, as I, as I worked through my life and sat as a clinician and heard people's stories, I, I came to the conclusion that trauma um, is likely pervasive in most of our childhoods, whether it fits the traditional definition or it was simply traumatic uh, for you, that this idea that someone lived this stress-free existence in the first quarter or start of their, of their life, that was truly a rare find and gem. But also as that clinician, also as that person who has had the deep privilege of sitting with others, and also as someone who is sitting and has sat with herself, I know that there is also something equally rare. And that is the decision and the capacity to take that pain and to take those moments and not suppress them or move them deep into the the holding tanks of your emotional toes, but to actually face them head on. That is the work of my guest today, Dr. Nita Bouchon. Dr. Nita started her career as a cosmetic dentist 
as one does and realize that her true life's work, her true gift and capacity is to help people find and discover their own inner resilience. As the co-founder of the Global Grit Institute, a mental health training platform for leaders and professionals, she is the co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute, training thousands to live their best lives. She is a world-renowned speaker on grit and resilience. She has shared the stage with umpteenth teachers and leaders in the space of personal development. And she is here today to share her message of that sucked. Now what? Also the title of her brand new book. And it's such a fitting interview and conversation to have at the beginning of the year. And as I've shared at the beginning of of a time I am dedicating to unpacking some of my own shadow, some of those things that I just feel are, are holding me back from, from being the next version of uh, myself as a mother and as a leader and as an entrepreneur and as an entrepreneurial artist and all of those things uh, that I consider myself to be. I am deeply honored for the opportunity to not only have this conversation today, but to share with you my friend, Dr. Nita Bouchon. Dr. Nita Bouchon, welcome to the Impact Podcast. How is it going, Megan? It's so good to have you and be here on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is it is a true honor, and I've been looking forward to this uh, this conversation as equally uh, the release of your new book. So, you know, as we're like jumping into this conversation, uh, I actually feel like your title is the is the stepping off point uh, for where I want to go with this conversation. And we'll delve into your experience and, and the work at the Global Grid Institute. But that sucked. Now what? The title of your new book, What Sucked? Hey, so I had many suck moments. I think, you know, starting out from when I was actually a budding dentist. I remember, and I can, I love sharing this story because then it can kind of give context to where we want to go. But I think specifically for you, when I was thinking about our, our chat and how we dove in at that retreat that we were together, I remember that when I was actually a new budding dentist, I mean, I don't know about you over there, but here, you know, there's only, there's probably like, I don't know how many women were in my class in dental school. And so coming out the gate, I knew that I wanted to just create and and just head out of the gate like running and, and creating my own practice and doing things on my terms. And so I only saw a lot of the males doing that. And so there wasn't necessarily that, uh, how would you say now I would call them expanders or kind of the vision of what's possible. And so I only saw my male colleagues doing it. So guess what? I started to act and feel like my male colleagues literally wearing up like, you know, turtlenecks and button up, you know, I would wear like the button up blazers so people would take me seriously because I already looked so young, so funny. And I remember right when I graduated, I thought I was going to get this like first job as, you know, the, the youngest dentist at this like really prestigious cosmetic dental office. And everyone was, you know, doing these, these full mouth reconstructions. You know, it was, it was a big deal because then these, these, these people would get placement in these big magazines. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be all a part of, you know, all about it and all part of it. 
And I actually, I was interning there. And after that month, I didn't get the job. So that sucked. Now what? And that really informed me of of starting my own practice and actually taking the leap and buying my own practice from somebody that was 40 years senior to me. He was retiring and I was just entering the field. But one of the things that I was actually hiding and would come full circle, which would then open up this full Pandora box in my life, was shortly after that, about 15 months when I actually signed the lease and purchased this practice from this retiring dentist, there was a whole sense of imposter syndrome. And there was a whole sense of just, you know, who am I? I have this, you know, my name is on the door and it's all of these things that I thought I wanted, uh, but I didn't really believe it because I hadn't faced the truth that I was actually hiding And it kind of came crashing down on me at the end of the year in 2011, when I actually realized that I was in this very toxic relationship and it was a toxic marriage that, you know, there's all these like red flags. And many times we tend to overwork ourselves and distract ourselves because we're kind of running away from things that are so deeply wounded in our own personal life. And that was my band-aid. My work was my band-aid for me, thinking that, oh yeah, I don't have to deal with a lot of these things that are now, uh, by the end of 2011, we're really taking uh, ownership of my life. And in ways that it really, I mean, my life was threatened. And so I had to make a conscious decision at the end of that year. In fact, it was New Year's Eve, I packed up whatever I could and I said to myself, okay, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And there was so much fear because I had purchased this practice. I was like a big shot. What would my family think? Because I culturally come from an Indian Filipino background and divorce is like a no-go. And what would my friends think? Because they thought there was this like perfect marriage on the outside and you know, thinking that I had it all together. I was the youngest person in my class and pretty much one of the only females to actually set and take this leap and and buy this practice. I wasn't even 30 yet and had all of these like trappings of success. But internally, I was spiritually dead. I was mentally afraid of pretty much everything at this point. And I was so scared. I mean, scared for my life and scared for what would the world think? And mostly that I would disappoint the ghosts of my parents because one of the big factors in my journey was that I had lost three members of my family, my mom, my dad, and my brother, all two medical diseases and medical conditions before I was 19. So I had a lot of trauma that I hadn't fully dealt with. I was masking and band-aiding a lot. And it all just kind of came full out, like it bursted at the seams. And that then began my journey of the now what, the now what into this next evolution of myself. There is an emotional maturity that is sort of uh, present in what you are talking about, because, um, you know, you, you, you started with the, with this, this opening story and, and, and led to where, uh, you know, there's, there's deep trauma and, and significant shifts and loss, uh, in your, in your life. 
And for a lot of people, what that becomes is evidence of like, oh gosh, like I am not worthy of this. They go down the the downward spiral. And even the energy of your of your title of your book is very much like, no, I am going to decide to spiral up. Like, where did that come from? What inspired that that light? Because that is an entirely that's a different decision. And I'm just I'm just curious where the capacity to make that decision came from. Oh my gosh. Thank you for seeing me. And thank you for even asking a question like that and framed it, you know, in, in that way, because that, yeah, that's, that's totally who I am at my core. I mean, I've been through a lot of darkness. I've been through a lot of, a lot of shit moments and to walk the path of that amount of darkness when you're that young, where, I mean, from the ages of 10 till 19, I was, you know, I was a caretaker. And my mom had a long battle of of breast cancer. I mean, that was really our upbringing, right? Then a year after that, my brother died of an asthma attack. And so to be in that much darkness for a very long time, you kind of are forced to find the slivers of joy. It's kind of like my, my subtitle, you know, embrace the joy and chaos and find magic in the mess. I was trying to find the magic because I didn't want to stay in that darkness for so long. And so much so that, you know, one of my coping mechanisms growing up was this positivity because that I needed to bring that light to my family. My brother, DJ, he was that light. He was a comedian. He was a jokester. I mean, that's who he was. And I felt like when he transitioned, it was almost like we want somebody needed to bring that flair back. And I felt like to keep his essence alive, I don't even share this on many podcasts. I wanted to infuse that in our day to day. And that really taught me one of the key pillars in the book, uh, which is your emotional capacity to expand, to allow yourself to feel. And for a very long time growing up, I you know, I was supposed to be the happy girl. I was the the eldest. So there's a lot of responsibilities placed on that, like coming from these immigrant cultures. And so I was the one where it's like, okay, bringing all the family members together, making sure everyone's taken care of. And this sense of enthusiasm and optimism, you know, that was what I was validated on, especially when people would come over and pay their respects and see my, you know, my mom in the hospital or my dad in the hospital. So I grew up having to take on that persona. And then fast forward when I would have the biggest kind of upheaval and awakening in my own healing journey of this divorce that came rumbling and crashing down on a mental, physical, and spiritual level, I had to be okay with allowing the parts of myself that I had denied. I had to be okay allowing the contrast of the happiness, the contrast of the joy, and really go into the depths of the sadness and the sorrow and the, but not get stuck there. And that's the difference in my book. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, the understanding, well, it's not this sucks where we're in this suck right now. It's that suck. So there's already an ownership and a responsibility that whatever happened really sucked. And I honor you for it. I see you for it. But we're not there. We can, I have all the tools and processes to take you to feel it and embody it and uh, really sit with those discomforting feelings. But I don't want you to fully be there for a while, which is why the next part of that is, you know, now what? 
now what? What are we going to do? And I think I've been so good at the now what piece that for that period of time in my 30s, I needed to go into the suck. I needed to feel those because then when I found love again, which I did, and so for people listening who are thinking, oh my goodness, they're in that part of their suck, is there an opportunity for you? And I think there's definitely hope there. But when I found love again and when I actually forayed into motherhood, and I think you and I, Megan, were talking a little bit about that and all the bells and whistles that come with that, I had to revisit some of that suck again in a whole new way where it was also allowing me to make peace with some of the the really heavy big T traumas of loss, of divorce, of domestic violence, but now into the little T's of every day of like the overwhelm and the stress and the anxiety and the mom guilt and the shaming and, and all of those things that come with the regular days of motherhood and how to kind of counteract and balance that. But I would say at my core, that's who I've always been is this optimistically positive person. And I even talk about it in the book around, you know, the the harm in those coping mechanisms where we are toxically positive and to also embrace and invite some of those feelings that we're actually not okay with. And I was faced with some of those feelings that I wasn't okay with, like my rage and my anger. And I've revisited that when I actually fell into, you know, postpartum depression with my my first child. And it was almost as if I was visited by, you know, my rebellious teenager that couldn't yell at the doctors, that couldn't fully express when that same doctor was giving my dad a diagnosis, you know, that he had 10 minutes to live. And it was almost like it was coming back again, but yet while I was, you know, <laughs> one month postpartum and the hormones are raging and I'm, I'm like losing it on my mother-in-law who just wanted to make me some Ayurveda kitchery, you know, and, and my husband who, who didn't wash the bottles right. And so I think those are all valid parts of ourselves that I think a lot of times, especially us women, we're so quick to judge those emotions and feelings. And it's really in that emotional capacity where we are inviting ourselves to really explore the edges of what we may not necessarily be okay with. What is the work, the shadow work for managing that toxic positivity element? And so, you know, I almost feel in the context of this question, I'm just trying to like make sure I put it in the right in, a, in an understandable uh, capacity, this notion of toxic positivity to me is just another tool of escapism to not have to just like do the work. And, and given your experience, like what, what is the work that enables you to have not escape to the toxic positivity? I think the work really came to, to be really reconciling with my abandonment issues, you know, the abandonment, the self-worth uh, the self-worth of, you know, when I lost those three members of my family at such a young age, all you want to do as a teenager is fit in. You don't want to talk about anybody that's died. You don't want to talk about, you don't want to be the odd person in the room. I remember vividly, there's a story of when I couldn't, and I, you know, I, I, I chronicalize this in the book, but when I was, I was a, I think I was a junior or senior, I was 19 in, in college. And I just 
I just needed to get away. And so I just, I, I basically took a, a study abroad in Rome and I had convinced my very strict grandmother and, and aunt to let me go because, you know, I, of course anything is on education, but it was a year after my dad had passed away. So I was actually 20 and I was, I just needed, my heart needed to visit a completely different place. So when I got to Rome, it was as if I was entering a whole new dimension, a whole new world, a whole new set of people. And it was, it was like, oh, wow, I can, I, I've, I've changed my environment. I can totally shift who I am here. I don't have to be that darkness that I had this like lingering cloud over my head, but it gave me a few things. It gave me time and perspective to process the heaviness because when you're in it and when you're in the suck, you can't see anything out of that suck. Sometimes you can't even see or picture a new reality because you've been you know, washed over with this waft of grief and waft of, you know, sucky moments that you're almost fully in it. And everything in your reflection is reflecting that back. Yet when I got out of my own container of what sucked, I was able to not only meet amazing other people from around the world. And when those questions would still come up, Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, tell me about your family. What does your mom do? What does your dad do? You know, we're, we're, we're young people, right? In our early, late teens, early 20s, I would immediately know who I would share that particular information with. Because again, who wants to have that pity party and, and, and go down the deep end with people that you just mm-hmm. met different places all around the world versus you then get to choose. And I had so much perspective because it was like, oh, wow, I'm not the only one that's going through difficult times. It's that shared reality and shared humanism. And also that I became a really good question asker and call it deflection for that time. But it was great because then I chose the people that I wanted to get close to or who was going to be in that inner circle. Because on the opposite side of that, to your question, Megan, yeah, was it painfully hard to actually go in the depths of that? Sure. Absolutely, which is why it would take me another decade even to visit this pot of suck that really needed me to look in and really truly heal what I imagined what my worth was and who I am if I wasn't performing, if I wasn't making everyone else happy, if I wasn't contributing, if I wasn't doing this next layer of success and all of these things. It was that level of escapism until I couldn't escape anymore, (laughs) until I could not hide all of those emotions and bypass essentially my own work of healing through that and my own work of going deeper and honoring myself and saying, wow, yeah, that really sucked and acknowledging that the pain of that. I think it's so much easier in our culture and nowadays to shove it under a rug, shove it, you know, put it in the back seat, you know, fake it till we make it, which is another one. But what about just feeling it to heal it? And, and that's a big mantra, you know, let's feel it to heal it so that we can rise through it and, you know, reframe the stories that we actually have in our head at a deeper level. What do you have to say to a society in general? 
that goes to the lengths of the earth to not have to feel hard things. Mm. Mm. We have pharmaceutical tools that we have normalized. We have alcohol and drugs that we have normalized. We have toxic positivity and high vibes that we have normalized. We have, we have normalized leveraging quick and easy tools to not have to feel the feelings. What do you want to say to us? We're all listening about doing the work. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's chaotic. I almost imagine it as this is, you know, it's that boiling pot of water. And if you're like me and have ever made, you know, whether it's a soup or for me, it's chai every morning. And when I put that, you know, pot of water on the stove and I crush up my cardamom and my ginger and I put it in there. But if I were to, instead of take the aroma of that and savor the aroma of what the cinnamon is bringing and what all of these essential ingredients are bringing to make this chai and actually stick my fist inside that hot boiling water, well, guess what? (laughs) What's going to (laughs) happen? My fist is going to scald. I'm going to get like, you know, I don't know, is it a second degree burn, third degree burn? It's going to burn. It's the pain is the indication of that something is there. Something is there where it is, even though it's discomforting, even though it's completely out and it's, and it's uncertain, we don't know how long we're going to feel that pain for. We don't know how long we're going to feel that un you know, the, the feelings of uncomfort, discomfort, but when we actually turn down the stove, move that pan of water away, we can actually look at it and look at that wound and start to heal that and start to see what is pain teaching me. And I think in all of my suck moments and for everyone who likes to use the quick and easy and, you know, what our culture has really, really embraced of this quick, fast and easy tools to escape. What if we just allow and see, well, how can we stretch? How can we expand? Because many times, and I know for myself and so many people that I've even interviewed for the book, it's when we take a moment to stop and pause because that pain is a signal that, hey, our body needs us. Hey, our emotions are telling us something. Hey, it's that boiling, scalding hot water that if we don't move it, we don't turn the heat off, going to burn our hand off and, and to actually stop and see, well, what is that actually telling me? And, and also what part of ourselves are wanting to come up to the surface because it's almost like healing that scab and that wound it's coming up so that we can have fresh skin and, and a new perspective, even for ourselves and even for our becoming. And even I think for that next level of who we were meant to be, and it's almost like a video game, right? And that first game, I don't know if you were, you probably were around when we had Mario Kart, but playing Mario Kart as a kid, you know, level one, super easy, no obstacles, no challenges. Level two gets a little bit harder. Level three, if you're lucky to make it, you have to jump over things. And, you know, there are things like trying to kill you. Level four, it, every single level, it up levels you. So, if we're kind of in this virtual reality world even more and more now, what makes us think that we 
still on a regular human level that there are levels to our evolution and that's biological yet we're so afraid of diving into the depths of that pain to really uncover and sit with the beauty and the magic of what comes up as a result of it that can truly change our life. I feel that so deeply. I'm very aware and I've talked openly on on our podcast for this year that I'm I'm dedicating this year to doing or longer, like I'm not I'm not confining it to that number of doing the work that enables me to level up, like facing those shadows and and facing those traumas and those past pieces because I really do feel like I'm like I've done I've done this level like I'm looking where's the magic flag that you have to jump onto to move on to the next uh, piece but you've got to do the you've got to do the work it's not just it's not just checking all of the boxes and the vision that is opening up to me as I do that work is amazing like that's the gift in and of itself you talk about uh, this concept in the book and otherwise of audacious resilience. What do you mean by that? So I, I love the word audacity because it is just so, it is That's great. It is, it is your intentional, like it is your unapologetic intention and it's so intentional of your way of being. It's a commitment to taking a stand for whatever that is, whether it's, you know, speaking your voice, whether it's focusing on you, whether it's recommitting yourself, right? And then the resiliency is not just the toughness. Because if we take, you know, in that example that I gave of the boiling hot water, you know, if we take any piece of glass or even, you know, granite, or maybe even, you know, the, what we actually think of as like, tough, right? And we let that go and we allow it to shatter into a million pieces. It's going to shatter because it's tough and it's brittle and it's strong, but we let it go and it's still going to break. What if we take the literal meaning of resilience, which is resilier, which is to bounce, and we actually take a rubber ball and we let that rubber ball go. And guess what? It's going to bounce. And why? It's not going to shatter because, well, it has a little bit of give. It has a little bit of flexibility. It has a little bit of agility so that we're not so rigid that we can shift, we can flow, we can move. And and that's where I think our greatest capacity for growth is to have the audacity, the intentional commitment to flex and, and not be so rigid when tough times come our way that we can actually still gain that perspective. And there is, you know, four pillars that I talk about that will help build your audacious resiliency you know, we talked about already too, our upbringing and what the pieces of our upbringing that we still haven't peered into yet. And the second piece of that is the emotional capacity, which we already talked about. But the third piece of that is our current environment. What are we exposing ourselves to? You know, like you said, you're like, I want to do the work. I want to get more into it. I want to see what else is there. That's that introspection. And that's also part four, which is your radical self-awareness of knowing and really knowing and saying, all right, I'm ready for that next level of growth, of evolution, of what no longer fits. But that we need to sit with you know, the, those parts of ourselves to really know what is meant for us in that next level. Because most of us are kind of 
just passing things by, right? But with that good stress, we're actually exposing ourselves to things that are going to be uncomfortable. Like for instance, maybe taking that leap or maybe doing things and putting ourselves out there in one way or another. And all of it then comprises your audacious resilience. What is your audacious vision for this book? Mm, Wow. Well, I I think that, you know, coming from the lens that this is coming from, that suck now what? I want this to be easy access for the tools of any person throughout the challenges that they may be facing, whether it's loss, whether it's hardship, whether it's a season of feeling stuck, whether it's after divorce. I mean, this has been, you know, an accumulation for so many of my years of training with sucky moments and now being able to put it in a way that's digestible for so many people to take that walk and to incorporate the tools of building your bounce factor, the tools of actually then flying forward and the tools that, you know, we, when we have hard times that we are not just going through the quick fix, but we're actually challenging ourselves to be in the discomfort so that we can rise and we can actually fly forward past uh, all of those sucky moments with ease and with grace. Not to say that things are never going to happen because we know it's inevitable. It's part of the human experience. But when they do, we have such an appreciation for it and we're thanking it. And ease is not easy. Just to be really clear, they're not necessarily the same The same tools and the same mindset and the same vibration. I am so excited to get my hands on this book and we're going to tell everybody how they can do it. But before we do that, I have a series of questions I'd love to ask right at the end of the interview. So I'm going to throw those your way and then we're going to tell everyone how they can grab a copy of that stuff. Now what? So my first question for you is what fun, weird talent do you possess that we would not otherwise know about unless you shared it right here, right now? Oh my goodness. Okay. I have a secret love affair with stand-up comedy and that has always been, I mean, I think it goes with, you know, the, the extreme like hard hardships to see the extreme joy and how we can, and how that is all intertwined. But yeah, maybe one day I've taken stand-up comedy a few times, but I think maybe one day there is a, there is a set coming out for sure. What's the biggest non-negotiable for you in your life? Mm. Vulnerability. What is your most important failure? Mm. My first marriage. Last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? To give people permission to suck, to give people permission to play, and to really embrace their magic and their mess through joy, through chaos, knowing that life isn't as hard as, you know, sometimes we may think and, and to really relish in it all. Amazing. Dr. Nita Bouchon, I could do this with you all day long. Um, before we close off this interview, can you please share with my listeners where they can get their hands on your new book and follow along for all the adventures that I know are coming your way? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, this baby is ready for order on oof it's uh, that sucked now what.com so that sucked 
uh, ednawa.com and you can say hi. I'm on Instagram at Nitha Bushin. And then also uh, when you actually order, I do have a, um, an amazing gift for your audience. You actually get the 44 page color coded handbook. And it goes through a lot of the things that we talk about in building your bounce factor and flying forward in making peace with some of the emotions that we might not be okay with and knowing where we are kind of diving into those parts of ourselves to heal. And it also comes with my five-day fly forward healing practice all for free when you get a copy of the book. Amazing links to be able to access the book and follow along with Nita will all be available in our show notes. That is meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Dr. Nita, thank you for your time today. It was such an honor having you on the show. Oh my God, Megan. Thank you so much. It was, I like, we could do this again. It was so much fun. And we will. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.